Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm personally thankful this morning to Michael Krause for the opportunity to share in this series that he's been uh, leading us through called The Parables of Jesus, a study through Matthew chapter 13. Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like he's been doing a fantastic job. First of all, helping us understand what a parable is, that a parable is a contrast. It's a contrast between something confusing or complicated with something simple that we already understand so that we can better understand the confusing and complicated thing. And I don't know about you, but after, after understanding that and listening to Mike kind of walk us through these mornings of these parables and provide just a breadth and depth of understanding, I just have really appreciated the information that he's provided. I mean, even last week, uh, I don't know about you, but we were learning about these bearded Darnells. Uh, I didn't know what a bearded Darnell was. I thought maybe it was like a, a hairstyle that was trending or some guy who was on America's you know, Most Wanted or something, but bearded Darnell, it's a weed. Like, who knew? I mean, amazing. So, you know, with all this insight, I thought, you know, it was, it was really an honor to be included in this, in this series and to be able to provide, you know, kind of my own thoroughness of, of understanding to, to one of these parables uh, until I discovered that uh, Mike had given me three verses to teach this morning. Teaching on three verses. Three verses. And, and in these three verses, there, there's actually two, par- uh, two, um, two parables in these, in these three verses. They're, they're so short and they're so simple that... Jesus didn't even feel like he needed to provide an explanation to them. They're that basic. So, so basically, Captain Obvious could be preaching this morning, but you know, Mike has a, a allowed me in, so I, I, I feel now that I'm, I'm in touch with how much he trusts me uh, with his baby in this study of the book of Matthew. He trusts me long enough to, to tie his shoelaces, so I, I'm... I'm kind of grateful for that. But all, all disclaimers aside, uh, that's what we're going to dive into today. So if you brought a Bible and a Bible or a Bible app, uh, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to dig into these next two uh, parables of Jesus, which uh, some scholars have suggested that Jesus intended to communicate kind of concurrently or side by side to make a single point. And in fact, some have suggested that the first was designated to the men who were uh, in his midst, while the second was designated to the female hearers uh, among, among the crowd. And uh, so there might not be any bearded Darnells today, but uh, hopefully there's a little bit of something for, for everyone. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 13, where we're going to begin in verse 31, where it says this. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Jesus tells another parable, another contrast of what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven being this this new society, this new way of life, this new community that Jesus is in the business of building and establishing where people who are allowing God to be their king, who are following Jesus, can experience a quality of life like no other. A quality of life the way God originally and ideally intended it. You know, free of brokenness and sin and darkness and pain and conflict and full of abundance and peace and joy and love. And he compares that way of life, that new society here, 
in this case, with a mustard seed, which he refers to as the smallest of all garden seeds. Um, Certainly, this would have been the smallest of seeds planted by Palestinian farmers in Jesus' day. Not necessarily a statement for all time uh, that's intended to be true in the world of botany. So, you know, if there are smaller seeds out there, it doesn't discredit what Jesus is saying. A a mustard seed in Jesus' day was more of a metaphor. It It was more of a symbol for smallness. So, Michael has given me a mustard seed of a text to teach today is the way you would use this term in the first century. It was, it was sort of symbolic um, of smallness. And it's not so much the smallest of the mustard seed that Jesus is concerned about. More importantly, it's what it's able to become. He says there it becomes the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. Now he's not referring to the mustard seed as becoming like a redwood or anything. Uh, as the largest of garden plants, a mustard seed was actually more of a, it grew into more of a bush. And uh, it was like 10 or 12 feet uh, in height when it was kind of fully grown. And for sure, you know, birds could nest in that mustard bush, but uh, I believe, as, as some scholars would suggest, that, that the language of this growing to become a tree where birds can nest, just like the language of the mustard seed is sort of symbolic itself, that language, I believe, is equally symbolic because many times in the Old Testament, when prophets envisioned the coming kingdom of God, they used the language or the metaphor of a tree where birds were able to nest in the branches. And so in a lot of ways, Jesus is referring to that language here and saying that the kingdom of God among them is like a mustard seed. It's synonymous with smallness, but over time eventually comes to fruition in what it is promised long ago to become. It's kind of the idea of what Jesus is teaching in this first parable. And then in the second parable... He says basically the very same thing. Only like I said earlier, this first parable involved uh, a man and uh, the the process of farming. This next one involves a woman uh, in the process of baking. And that's not to say that Jesus is providing some kind of ground rules for all time. That a woman's place is in the home or in the kitchen and men are rugged outdoorsmen or anything like that. Don't go there. Don't don't draw that from this. This is merely, this is merely uh, the, the kind of way Jesus could relate in the cultural understandings and what was relevant in his day. And so diving into verse 33, then it says this, Jesus told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Okay, on the one hand, he compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. This time he compares it to yeast. And he's basically saying the same thing, that, that a, a, a little seemingly insignificant amount can kind of grow and, and, and generate something far more significant. Um, that's partly what he's getting at when he refers to the measurements of the dough that it's able to affect. In, in common terms, the, the dough and the measurements, uh, when, you, when you study this, uh, was a loaf of bread or a, enough bread that it could feed about 100 people. So we're not talking about, you know, producing some crackers here. We're talking about like one of those jumbo sub sandwiches that you get from Subway. And, uh, you know, that's the, what, what a, little e- a little yeast, a little leaven is, is capable of of affecting. And I suppose the nuance here, the one twist that's different than the parable of the mustard seed is that here the yeast isn't just small, it's actually unseen. The yeast is unseen. In fact, when it says that the woman took and and it took it and mixed it, 
into the dough. The language for the term mixed is actually, the, the original word is hidden. It's as if the woman took it and, and hid it you know, among the dough and it kind of permeated even though it was kind of invisible or elusive. And that's what Jesus is saying in these two kind of, kind of parallel parables. He's saying that on the one hand that something synonymous for smallness can become something significant in its full fruition of the kingdom. And on the other hand, something elusive can become something very pervasive and in some sense, you know, produce a, a reference for the kingdom as well because the kingdom was often referred to in the Old Testament as a feast. So that's what Jesus is kind of set up here. On the one hand, something synonymous with smallness can become significant. And on the other hand, something that is elusive can become pervasive. That's what Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like. Now, let's take a step back and appreciate why Jesus was teaching this to his disciples. Because from my perspective, that's been the most helpful piece of content that Mike's provided in these last few weeks, helping us understand the context of why Jesus was providing these parables in Matthew chapter 13. Mike has explained to us already that Jesus was responding to his disciples' kind of doubt or disappointment with the reaction to his teaching and to his work and ministry. That basically they didn't feel like Jesus was having the impact that they expected or wanted him to have. That people weren't responding to the message of Christ the way they felt like they ought to be. And they were wondering why that was. And so Jesus launches into these parables to explain the kingdom of God a little bit better and help them understand why it is that people aren't responding to his message in the way that they might have expected. You know, the first reason Jesus had cited is because of the hearts of many of the hearers. That was the parable of the soils. That some people's hearts are like soils. Some are like, you know, the road where they reject the message altogether. Some are like the dry, hard soil that, you know, germinates quickly, but it's shallow. And so it, you know, kind of dissipates just as quickly because of its shallowness. And some is like the thorny soil where... You know, it kind of germinates quickly, but then it gets choked out by the cares of this world. And then, you know, it kind of dies and withers. And some people's hearts, Jesus said, is like the good soil and grows to produce a crop of, you know, a hundred or so fold. And he says that one of the reasons people aren't responding to his message the way that these disciples thought they ought to is because of the different conditions of people's hearts as hearers. And then the next week, last week, Jesus explained that one of the reasons that, you know, his ministry doesn't seem to be having the impact that his disciples expected that it would is because there's someone else trying to grow something while he's trying to grow the kingdom. That was the parable of the weeds. That was the bearded Darnell. That, that there actually is an enemy who, while unseen, is equally real and equally aggressively at work in thwarting the purposes of God in the world. And so even though Jesus' death and resurrection was to have victory from a spiritual sense over evil and sin and death for all time, Jesus hasn't cashed in that victory yet until his eventual return when he promises to complete the work that he started and fully establish his kingdom on earth as it is today in heaven. And so today, Jesus taught, we learned last week, we live in this kingdom coming, but not quite all here yet, sort of intermediate reality. And that's part of the reason that his disciples weren't seeing or experiencing the impact that they thought. 
Part of the reason is because of the hearts of the hearers. Part of the reason is because there's an enemy trying to thwart things. Part of the reason, Jesus says today, is because they don't actually understand how the kingdom works. Part of the reason is that their expectation is wrong. And we need to appreciate that this parable in particular would have been received by Jesus' original hearers. It would have been received by Jesus' disciples as quite a shock. You know, if you think about what they would have expected the kingdom of God to be like, or what they would have expected Jesus to compare the kingdom of God to, with all the glory and all the full culmination of God's vision in his new and restored, forgiven and free society. You know, I imagine them expecting to say that the kingdom of God is like when a Walmart moves to town and it's just a huge deal. Or like when the new Ikea that's coming to the Fairview Mall comes to town. Or, you know, even bigger, the kingdom of God is like when the Olympics come to a city and there's pomp and circumstance and it's just an extraordinary time. Only Jesus doesn't talk about something big and grandiose. Jesus shocks them by saying the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's synonymous with smallness and it's like yeast. It's representative of something you can't even see. It's elusive. That would have shocked these disciples and that was the point Jesus was trying to make. Jesus was trying to correct their understanding, to correct their perspective on the impact that they should expect to see right in front of them because that's not necessarily how the kingdom of God works. Jesus understood it started small. Jesus understood it started with subtle and often elusive unseen beginnings and kind of moved and permeated, but eventually would grow to full fruition like a tree where birds can nest or like a wedding feast, the way that the kingdom has been promised to fully come. The point that Jesus was trying to make was to right-size the expectation of his disciples, of his original hearers. And it begs the question of you and I today of what our expectations of the kingdom of God are in our lives. What are our expectations of the work that we come to God for him to do? How do we expect God to work in our lives? And are we in the same boat as the disciples? You know, I talk to a lot of people and many times, both inside and outside the church, when I get into kind of more extended, deeper conversations of faith, I'll hear this phrase, and and maybe you've used it before. The phrase is disappointed with God. I'm disappointed with God. I've grown disappointed with God. I gave up on following Jesus because I got disappointed with God. You ever use that phrase? Disappointed with God? To be, think about this, to be disappointed or to be dissatisfied is to have a gap that exists between our expectations and our experience. Our expectations, what we want, and our experience, our our reality. And what we need to appreciate at a technical level is there are two reasons why we experience disappointment or dissatisfaction. One is because The reality doesn't deliver on our expectations. The other, though, is that our expectations are off from reality. And most of the time, our disappointment is because we attribute that gap to the former and not necessarily the latter. We blame the non-delivery of whomever or whatever we expect to deliver on those expectations rather than ever reflect or consider that our expectations might be off. 
And yet that's exactly what Jesus is challenging his original hearers to consider because they're kind of kind of insinuating or potentially blaming Jesus for being ineffective. And he's saying he's not being ineffective at all. That's not the way that the kingdom works. And they actually need to right size their expectations if they're going to fully appreciate what God is up to in the world. You know, look at it the other way. Uh, consider examples uh, in your world or you know, in our society, even over history, where, where we've seen God at work in really incredible ways and trace it back to you know, where it all started. Trace it back to its early roots. And you know what you have? Time and time again, you have very kind of inconspicuous, very seemingly insignificant, humble beginnings. That's how the kingdom is built. That's how the kingdom of God grows. That's how it permeates. That's how it propagates. You know, every summer, we're going to do it again in August. Um, our church is part of this experience uh, called the Global Leadership Summit, which has now become this two-day event that has kind of permeated all across the planet. These days, it involves over a quarter million participants that, it, through whom it has cascading impact in communities and societies all around the planet. But 30 or 40 years ago, where the founders of the church that hosts this event were teenagers and were fundraising by selling tomatoes door to door to try to raise money for their youth group, I don't think they were dissatisfied. I don't think they were disappointed with God. They were just engaging in the humble beginnings and making the mustard seed and yeast level investments that God was able to grow into something spectacular. Think about another example. We had some families and, and some people this past week travel as a team to Uganda to visit one of our, uh, what we call our global anchor causes, one of our child survival programs. Um, and many of them got to meet their uh, compassion child sponsor children. Just a tremendous experience. I'm looking forward in the next month or so to hearing more about it. But, you know, suffice to say, when you think about that dynamic, either sponsoring a child personally or being part of one of our global anchor causes and supporting this initiative, this issue of child survival through one of these CSPs, I hope you can appreciate that, you know, it doesn't just change overnight. It's through small and consistent Faithful investments, financial investments, prayer investments, letter writing, things like that, that over time affect a child, affect a family, affect a community, affect a society. And it's only, you know, a generation later when you get to celebrate the fruit of what God's been able to do. But it starts as like a mustard seed. It starts as like a yeast. And, and that's the way God's kingdom grows and progresses and permeates. It's really a Rome wasn't built in a day. It takes 20 years or so to make an overnight success kind of a thing. I think about it in my own life. I think about it in the life of our church. You know, how many little mustard seed investments have, have got us to where we are today? How, how, many, how many summer camp counselors? How many uh, chapel speakers, how many Sunday school teachers or youth sponsors that invited me to, to serve or pastors that encouraged me to preach and gave me more than three verses to do so. You know, how many, how many, how many little mustard seed and yeast investments were made in me? Similarly, how many mustard seed or yeast type investments were made in our church that over the years went from humble beginnings to getting us to this place where across Niagara, we can be a movement of restoration today. And even today, in many ways, it feels like we have mustard seed and yeast level impact compared to what we imagine that God could do because that's the way the kingdom of God can grow and blossom and progress. 
so long as we employ the proper perspective that appreciates that. So I'm wondering today what our expectation of the activity of God is in us. What our, what our expectation of God's work in our lives and in our families and in our church and our community looks like. And when we feel disappointed with God, whether or not it's because God's not delivering or whether or not it's that maybe our expectations are off and we're not appreciating the way that the kingdom of God actually works. You know, I think that today this passage is asking us two critical questions. Question number one would be, do we have the patience and endurance to stay faithful in a mustard seed and yeast type of growing kingdom? Do we have the patience and endurance to stay faithful to allow God to grow his kingdom in and among us? Do we have the patience and endurance to hang in there in the marriage that we've given over to God that we still struggle with and still isn't perfect or still isn't thriving, but we can believe that God can make a difference over time? Can we stay faithful to be the parents that God wants us to be, even though our kids may not be on the trajectory that we believe that God would want them on or think that they should be on if God were really at work? You know, can we, can we stay faithful to have you know, one more difficult conversation or engage in one more conflict resolution with that family member or friend to preserve that relationship in hopes that it would one day thrive because we believe that that's what God wants but we haven't experienced it quite yet? You know, can we just hang in there, you know, for one more day, one more week, trying to conquer that addiction that we've given over to God, that we still struggle with and still regress in, that feels like we're not making any progress? Can we allow our mustard seed and yeast level commitment to be used by God through patience and endurance and faithfulness over time? Can we be patient and endure over time to be faithful enough to allow God to make that character transformation or to deal with that you know, hard attitude or habit that we've really had a difficult time seeing transformation in? You know, if we understand the kingdom properly, if we have that right perspective, hopefully it can precipitate a new level of persistence, a new level of endurance and faithfulness to allow God to continue to grow what he's promised to grow in and among us. The other question that I think God is asking us in a passage like this is, you know, do we appreciate the significance of smallness? Do we appreciate the significance of these mustard seed and yeast size investments into his kingdom and what he's actually able over time to do with them? Do we appreciate the significance of what it means to pray for someone, let alone to pray for someone regularly or continuously, and the significance of what God can do over time with that? It's like compound interest, year over year, decade over decade, what God is able to do, you know, by the time you reach retirement over a generation or so. Do we appreciate, you know, the significance of that one seemingly simple act of kindness, that one seemingly simple word of encouragement, you know, that one note, you know, that, 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 that one opportunity of, of hospitality or that one act of generosity and what God can do in a person or in a family or in a trajectory or in a future or in a destiny just through that one instance of investing in the kingdom. Even just, even just a little bit. Think about even the most simple and subtle way that you could pay attention to someone 
who desperately needs some attention. Someone who's lost hope, someone in despair or depression, someone who may be at the end of all hope. And through simply the act of paying attention, investing a little bit of time in them, you could not only literally save a life in some cases, but you could reroute a trajectory, reroute a destiny, and ultimately reroute an eternity. Because that's the power of mustard seed and yeast level investments, if we'll see them properly. That's the point of the parables today, to help us to see properly, to help us to develop the kind of mindset that doesn't just see what's right in front of us and get disappointed with God that it's not enough, but appreciate that when it comes to the work of God, when it comes to the building and the propagating of his kingdom, of his way of life on earth, that it's very different than what we may expect in this bigger and better 21st century Western society. That it's way more like a mustard seed, that it's way more like yeast. And if we can develop that perspective, then we can live faithfully, persistently, patiently, making those investments for the long haul and celebrate all that God can do. You know, talking about perspective, I've learned a few things over these last couple of weeks with a little bit of a, a health issue that I've been wrestling with. Um, a couple of years ago, at the encouragement of my hairdresser, of all people, uh, I started to use some of those, they call them cheaters. Uh, these like uh, reader glasses, just to help with detail and you know, reading uh, books and on the computer and things like that. But over the last couple of years, the glasses that I've got still haven't really seemed to help. My eyesight has actually gotten worse. And uh, this summer, I was sharing on a number of days to Becky, almost really hot and humid days, how hazy it was outside. And uh, Becky would say to me, you know, it's not hazy at all, actually. Um, it's perfectly clear, so you, you might have a problem. And I kind of brushed it off, but eventually I was feeling like my eyes were getting so bad and so blurry, especially at night with lights and glare and whatever, that I went to see my optometrist and uh, found out that I have cataracts. And uh, yeah, at... at at 42 years old, uh, I have cataracts and have to get surgery. Uh, I'm going to get surgery on my, my one eye next month, and I'm not sure how, where we'll go from there. But uh, I, as a bit of an aside, I've appreciated uh, the uh, encouragement and the compassion and the advice of all of my retiree friends. Uh, you know, seriously, you have uh, really befriended me as the word's gotten out that I have these cataracts. Um, with all of your experiences with your own cataract surgeries and how simple and easy it is and how great you can see and... Um, Found it's been really a, a, a real bonding moment. Uh, my wife now refers to me as grandpa. But uh, anyways, uh, I'm not going to talk about that every, every single time I talk. I just thought that that would be a, an interesting update. And I'll update us uh, on the prayer wall as well uh, in the days leading up to my, my first surgery. Because I certainly, I am medically and, and you know, certainly surgery averse and would covet your prayers in that on a, on a very serious note. All that to say though, here's what I learned this summer as I was kind of living in this haze all summer, believing that it was hot and hazy and humid, when in fact it wasn't. Just because you're convinced of what you see doesn't make it real. That's been kind of the big idea of my life these past few months. Just because you're convinced of what you see with your eyes <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean it's real. And in that moment where you feel like giving up on God, in that moment where you feel disappointed with God, and in that moment where you feel like God's not delivering what he ought to be delivering, take a step back and try to see what God sees. And try to see his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Try to see the Jesus who promised that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Try to see the promises of God that will one day result in the return of Christ and the full culmination of his kingdom and new heaven and new earth and new society on earth for all eternity. Try to see that building and growing in small but significant ways, in elusive but permeating ways, because that's the reality of how the kingdom of God works. And if you can change that perspective, if you can see what God sees instead of what you may be convinced to see right in front of you, then hopefully you and I and us together can be faithful to hang in there, can be faithful to persevere, can be faithful to endure And more importantly, can be faithful to make those kingdom investments time and time and time again that God can grow and God can permeate into full fruition. Not because of us, because of God and his faithfulness. Let's pray together. God, we often pray, may your will be done and may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And for those of us who've put our trust in you, who dream of what your work in us could could look like if it fully realized, we pray that sincerely. Sometimes, God, we pray that desperately and we pray it from the bottom of our hearts. Today, my prayer, God, is that we pray it confidently. And even when we can't see your kingdom at work, even when we can't see the full fruition of what we wish you would be doing, I pray that we would see you at work that we would see you doing, even in small, seemingly insignificant or hard to see, maybe elusive ways. Help us to trust that you're faithful. Help us to trust that you're at work. Help us to have confidence in you and you alone and in your kingdom building plan and promises. Not just for all eternity, but for our lives, even in the here and now. And help us to use each other to be an encouragement to one another of your faithfulness, to press in, to to lean in, to stay faithful, to be persistent and to endure and to not lose hope and to not give up making those mustard seed and yeast level investments with our one and only life. Help us to be those faithful people who are trusting in your faithfulness. Thank you for the work that you wanna do in and among us. We look forward to continuing to watch it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.